2 Kings. We're continuing some thoughts surrounding revival. Um, We'll get back to Mark as soon as the Lord lets us. 2 Kings chapter 5, beginning in verse number 1. Now Naaman, captain of the host of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master, and honorable because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. He was also a mighty man in valor, but he was a leper. And the Syrians had gone out by, com- by companies and had brought away captive out of the land of Israel a little maid, And she waited on Naaman's wife, and she said unto her mistress, Would God my Lord were with the prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. And one went in and told his Lord, saying, Thus and thus said the maid that is of the land of Israel. And the king of of Syria said, Go to, go, and I will send a letter unto the king of Israel. And the king of Syria, I'm sorry, and he departed and took with him ten talents of silver and six thousand pieces of gold and ten changes of raiment. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, saying, Now when this letter is come unto thee, behold, I have therewith uh, sent Naaman my servant to thee, that thou mayest recover him of his leprosy. Verse number 9. So Naaman came with his horses and with his chariot and stood at the door of the house of Elisha. And Elisha sent a messenger unto him, saying, Go and wash in Jordan seven times, and thy flesh shall come again to thee, and thou shalt be clean. But Naaman was wroth and went away and said, Behold, I thought he will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and strike his hand over the place and recover the leper. Are not Abana and Farpar rivers of Damascus better than all the waters in Israel? May I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. And his servants came near and spake unto him and said, My father, if the prophet had bid thee do some great thing, wouldst thou not have done it? How much rather then when he saith unto thee, Wash and be clean? Then went he down and dipped himself seven times in Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God, and his flesh came again like unto the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Father, would you help us tonight as we look to this passage? Um, Lord, I confess that, that I have not spent as much time on this message as I try to on my other ones. Circumstances this week have not permitted it. I do feel prepared. I do feel that I have the information you'd have me to preach. But Lord, I just, I, I want to structure things in a way that I'm in your word constantly. And sometimes it's just not possible. So I need you to help me tonight. I'm asking you to bless your word and use it. Speak to our hearts, particularly in this matter of revival. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I'd like to believe that we as a church are in a pursuit of lasting revival. I'm certainly in pursuit of it myself. I believe that I'm the best I know how leading my family to pursue lasting revival. But if we're going to have that, it is imperative, indispensable that we get consistent victory over sin. 
One of the hallmarks of real revival is this old King James term, a holy conversation, a holy lifestyle. Revival cannot come to, let alone thrive, in an atmosphere that tolerates sin. I'm sorry to tell you that there are churches today that don't just tolerate sin, they're celebrating it. Psalm 66, 18 is pretty clear. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. He won't. Now, if you've studied your Bible for a while, you know that there's something called typology. And there are things, in, particularly in the Old Testament, that serve as a picture for New Testament principles. And those of us that have studied this kind of thing out, we know that leprosy is a type a picture of sin. And when you, when you look at it from that perspective, the, the story of Naaman the Syrian is especially helpful when we're talking about the subject of getting victory over sin. Now, let me give you a... An, an introductory truth. I am not saying this is going to be easy. Easy preaching, hard living. Getting victory over sin is not an easy task. Well, it was for Naaman. No, it wasn't either. So let's get into it. How do I get victory over sin? Number one. You've got to see sin for what it is. Look at verse 9. So Naaman came with his, chariot, with his horses and with his chariot and stood at the door of the house of Elisha. It's important to understand the Syrians and the northern kingdom of Israel were at war. They were not friendly with one another. They couldn't stand one another. Naaman is without question in hostile territory. What in the world would possess him to leave the relative safety of Damascus and come to this town in the middle of a land that hates him? Here's what it was. Naaman understood, if I do nothing... I'm going to die. It's worth the risk. It's worth the trip. It's worth the chance that it may not work at all. I don't know that this will work, but I know this. If I don't do anything, I'm going to die. At this time, leprosy as we know it had a 100% kill rate. Unless somebody healed you. You were done for. And we see why leprosy is such a perfect picture for sin. Because if sin is not dealt with, it'll kill you. There's a reason the Bible describes certain aspects of sin with the old English word canker. You know what we would call canker today? We'd call it cancer. 
cancer, even even the most even the most you know mild forms of it, if they're left alone, if you do nothing, what happens? You're going to die. There's, there's treatable cancers out there. We, you know, uh, little Henry, we thank the Lord that he has done so well. Hodgkin's disease is a very treatable cancer. And I'm not saying that it was easy on him to go through the treatments. Please, it's not. But it's a very treatable cancer. But what if he just said, eh, I'm not going to mess with it? Something that was very treatable becomes deadly. And here's the problem with a lot of Christians, too. We see sin, and we even recognize sin, but we don't see it for what it is. We don't see it as being deadly. By the way, not just for you, for those around you. If I leave sin unchecked in my life, it can hurt my kids. It's not just deadly for me. It's deadly for my marriage. It's deadly for my kids. It's deadly for my church. Now, would this church survive if something happened to me? Of course it would, but it wouldn't be without a lot of pain. It hurt people. James put it this way, Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth what? Death. By the way, we need to be careful that we don't get into the habit of renaming sin to make it less offensive. This young woman that blasted her way into Covenant Christian School in Nashville, she was troubled. Nope. She was evil. She was evil. This wasn't because her parents refused to accept her transgender transition. No, she was evil. The devil got a hold of her. And yet, we want to label it as mental illness. Now, do people have mental illnesses? They sure do. They sure do. And it's okay to label it when it is. But when we start sugarcoating things and stop seeing sin as sin, bad things happen. Well, I don't have an anger problem. I'm just passionate. No, it's an anger problem. No. I don't lack self-control. I just tell it like it is. You know. You know, I yeah, I I look at things I ought not, and yeah, I notice when a pretty woman walks by and I take a little extra time to start no, that's lust. And it needs to be called that. Well, everybody struggles. I don't care if everybody does or they don't. It's still wrong. It's still sin. And we've got to see it for what it is. And so we are never going to get victory over sin. As we're pursuing revival, we are never going to get victory over sin until we realize if I don't do anything, it's going to kill me. And Naaman came to that understanding. I don't want to go to Israel. I don't want any part of this, but if I don't do something, I'm going to die. So number one is see sin for what it is. Number two, you want to get victory over sin? Now now stay with me on this one. Stop looking for the miraculous. 
Now, what in the world do I mean? About, is it not miraculous to get victory over sin? It is, but stop looking for what you identify as miracles. Now, let me, give, let me tell you what I'm talking about. Look at verse number 10. And Elisha sent a messenger unto him, saying, Go and wash in Jordan. By the way, isn't it interesting? Elisha doesn't meet with him face to face. Now, some would take this as a sign of disrespect, but it wasn't. There's a lot of things we could, we could offer conjecture as to why he didn't meet with him. But I'll tell you one thing I think might be going on here. Elisha wants this man to understand that Elisha isn't healing anybody. God is. And sometimes when you're trying to get victory over a sin, you will look to people, and God won't let you get any help from any people anywhere around. He wants you to look square at him. Anyway, that's a sad one. You could add that as a sixth point, I suppose. Verse 10, Elisha sent a messenger unto him, saying, Go and wash in Jordan seven times, and thy flesh shall come again to thee, and thou shalt be clean. But Naaman was wroth and went away and said, Behold, I thought he will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and strike his hand over the place and recover the leper. I thought he would step out there and he would put his hands in the air and the lightning and thunder would come down and something big would happen and, oh, I'm healed. That's what I thought. And sometimes we're struggling with a sin and we go into a revival meeting or we go into a missions conference or we go into a special set of meetings or we go into a Sunday morning meeting or a Sunday evening meeting and, oh, God's just going to hit me with a lightning bolt. And then when he doesn't, you think he wasn't doing anything. Because we were looking for something that we would recognize as miraculous. Oh, all of a sudden, I don't feel the need to sin like that anymore. Oh, all of a sudden, I've been delivered. By the way, I am really really, really leery of this upswing in deliverance meetings. You come to this service and you'll get deliverance. My Bible teaches me that's not how God works. It's not found in a person. It's not found in a building or a tent. It's not found in a spe- God. Will, God will touch you anytime, anywhere he so pleases. And a lot of times what happens is when you, when you start putting these things together and you start having these deliverance meetings, what you're really doing is you're giving more um, press coverage to the wickedness than you are the healing. You know? He expected some kind of show. And how often do we expect some kind of miraculous change when what God really wants us to do is just bear down in his power and do what's right? Do you remember when Elijah was on the run and God wanted to move in his life? He didn't use the earthquake and he didn't use the whirlwind and he didn't use the fire. What did he use? That still, small voice. Stop looking for what you would define as miraculous and understand that sometimes God works very, very quietly and in ways you wouldn't suspect. (coughs) Excuse me. Number three, mortify your desires. When it comes to getting victory over sin, what you want for yourself is completely and totally irrelevant. Look at verse 12. He 
who's told him to dip in the Jordan seven times. Are not Arbana or Arbana and Farpar rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? I would rather bathe in those rivers. They're much cleaner. They're much nicer. They're much less polluted. Hey, Naaman, it doesn't matter what you want, bud. Your desires don't matter in this thing. This is what God said to do. But can I tell you what I'm, I'm guilty of sometimes? I want God to give me victory, but I want him to do it the way I want him to do it. I want it to be a feeling. Or I want it to be at a certain time. Or I want it to dovetail into a certain message. God's under no obligation to do anything the way I want him to. When we're warring against sin, our desires are at best irrelevant, and at worst, they're undermining. Sometimes what we want is actually counterproductive to getting the victory that we need. <laughs> I haven't watched one of these in a long time, so I'm going to confess a past sin. <coughs> I used to watch these shows on TLC about people that reached enormous weight to where they were homebound and so forth. And then they would go see this particular doctor in Houston, Dr. Nalzardin, short little Iranian guy about this tall. And he'd walk in, and every time he walked in, you could just set your watch by, hello, that's what he would say, hello. And I would watch, I was watching that with a friend of mine one time, and he said, boy, it kind of makes you want to go to the gym, doesn't it? I said, no, it makes me want to have another donut. I feel pretty good about myself at the moment. <laughs> but it's very interesting. Before they can have some kind of a weight loss surgery, whether it's gastric bypass or the sleeve or whatever, he insists that they lose a certain amount of weight to show that they can, to show that they can control themselves and so forth. And it's amazing to me how many of them come back at a subsequent appointment and they say, and they've, they've not either not lost any weight, they've not lost enough, or they put on weight. And they say, well, I thought doing it this way was better than better for me. Because, you know, they got a medical degree at some point in between the two appointments. And he just tell them, well, you can do it your way all you want to. It's not going to be successful. But the truth is, as Christians, well, yeah, Lord, I want victory, but I want to do this my way. I want it to be more comfortable. I want it to be easier. I got news for you, friends. Getting victory over sin is never going to be easy. You know why I haven't lost the weight that I want to lose yet? It's hard. It's hard. And the older I get, the harder it gets. And I can come up with all kinds of excuses, and I can say, well, I think this works better for me. But the, at the end of the day, either it's going to work or it's not going to work, and it doesn't matter how I feel about it. That's why Paul said, for if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do what? Mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live He expands on this in Romans 13, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lusts thereof. 
I was thinking on this the other day. The best way for me to have the restraint to not eat things that I shouldn't is to not have access to things that I shouldn't eat. To make no provision for the flesh. None. Well, I'm going to have Cokes in the house, and I'm going to drink a little sip of Coke once every blue moon just to, you know, just to take the edge off. You know as well as I do, that's not how it works. It's just not. And sometimes what we do, we do this with our kids sometimes, don't we? We put things in their lives that are 90%, 95% good, but they got 5% that aren't very good for them. So what we do is we tell them, well, you, now look, you don't watch that part of the movie. You don't listen to that song on the album. You don't, and, and what do you think? That's what they want to see. My parents, I thought about this when I was mowing the other day. My parents had a record. We had one of those big wooden console stereos. Weren't those great? Hi-fi. Not Wi-fi. Hi-fi. Had an 8-track in it. And let me tell you something. Every Christmas, my mama pulled out them Christmas 8-tracks and went to town with them. And we had the the records. Any of y'all know what I'm talking about when I say the Firestone Christmas records? Does that ring a bell with anybody? Well, anyway, Firestone funded these Christmas records that had Bing Crosby and, you know... Who's the singers? The Ray Conniff singers and all those people. And that's what we heard just bellowing through the house. Well, they had a record. Now, hear me closely. They had a record called (laughs) Funky Favorites. And they had it because there were a lot of old, funny songs that my dad particularly enjoyed. And... uh, And so I could listen to any of those songs on that album I wanted to except the last one. The last one, and some of y'all are going to laugh because you know this one. The last one was got by a guy named Rick Dees, and it was called Disco Duck. I wasn't allowed to listen to Disco Duck. You know why? Because my parents were good independent fundamental Baptists, and you dare not have anything with disco on it. It was tame compared to what people are listening to now, very tame. But I wasn't allowed to listen to it because it had disco on it. Now, I could listen to Alley Oop. That was on it. I could listen to that kind of thing, but I could I could listen to On Top of Spaghetti all covered with cheese. I lost my poor meatball when somebody sneezed. I could listen to that one, but I couldn't listen to Disco Duck. What do you think is the one song I wanted to hear on that album more than anything else? Disco Duck. You see, when we, when we put something in our lives that has that one area that we're not supposed to mess with, that is where our flesh is drawn. And the only way you can deal with that is to mortify it, get rid of it, kill it. Kill it. If, if if you struggle with some kind of addiction, you can't have anything in your in your life that, that, that would that would feed that. 
but, but I want it. I just, I want less of it. I don't want as much of it as I, it doesn't matter what we want. We have to mortify our desires. It didn't matter what Nathan wanted. He couldn't go to, to, to Farpar. He, he couldn't go to, oh, what was the other one? Abana. God said the Jordan. You want to get victory over sin, you've got to see sin for what it is. You've got to stop looking for the miraculous, and you've got to mortify your desires. And number four, prepare to be uncomfortable. Somebody that's detoxing, it's rough. It's uncomfortable to say the least. Verse number 12, verse number 14, rather. Then went he down and dipped himself. Now, leprosy would have at the very least produced open sores. You ever had an open sore and got it wet? Ouch. I remember when I played baseball in high school, I did not slide the textbook way. And when you don't slide the textbook way, you're going to get a little bit of a strawberry. Add to that that our baseball field was horrible. They didn't sift the, the dirt as well as they should have. There's still a lot of rocks in it. If you could field infield on our baseball field, you, you, could, you could go pro. And I had just this nasty strawberry on the side of my leg, and I had to take a shower, and I dreaded it. It hurt so bad. And when he got in that water, you better believe it, it hurt. And can I tell you something? Victory over sin is a painful process. That's why so many people don't get victory, is because it hurts. It's hard, and we give up. Paul is arguably the greatest Christian, I'd say certainly the greatest missionary to ever live. Man, if anybody if anybody had a handle on it, Paul did. But listen to what he said in Romans 7. You tell me if this sounds pleasant or if it sounds uncomfortable. But I see another law in my members, Romans 7, 23, warring against the law of my mind. And bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. O oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Do you know the picture he's, he's given us there? This was a common punishment in that day. There were some people when they were convicted of a capital crime, and I'm going to explain this the best way I can without being gratuitously gross. Many times they would take the body of the person who was killed and affix it to the body of the murderer. And he would be forced to walk around with that body on him. And that body would follow the ways of nature and transfer all kinds of infection and awfulness to the person who had killed him. And he died a slow, agonizing death. And that's what Paul is talking about here. My old nature is just rotten on me, and I hate it. And this is hard, and this hurts, and I am at war, and I am uncomfortable. So what's the answer? 
I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. He's the answer. It's uncomfortable. It hurts. Yeah, it does. I have a hard time with what I watch on TV, preacher. I got to get rid of that TV. Okay, just know it's going to hurt. These kids, I'll tell them sometimes, y'all are addicted to your phones. No, I'm not. All right, give it here then. Nope. Sounds to me like you want to hold on to it. Whatever you think you're not addicted to, get rid of it for a while and see how you feel. I know I'm addicted to Coca-Cola. I know it. How many of us are addicted to caffeine? You don't have your coffee in the morning. I have my wife's ready because I want to make it through the day. I don't drink. My wife drinks coffee, not so she'll make it through the day. She drinks coffee, so I'll make it through the day. Prepare to be uncomfortable. Here's the last thing. Never stop seeking victory. Never stop. Verse 14. Then he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God. And his flesh came again like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. I truly believe. Now, I can't preach this as doctrine, but I truly believe that nothing happened until after that seventh dip. I don't see anything in the text to tell me that after the first dip, hey, it's a little bit better. And after the second dip, ooh, a little bit better yet. I don't think so. I see nothing in the text to tell me that. I think that he had to dip seven times, and then he got his healing. You wonder if maybe after the fourth time he's thinking, this is stupid. What if he'd quit? What if he'd walked up out of the water and said, this is dumb. Four times and nothing's changed. He'd have died. But how many times do we get serious about getting victory in our lives and then because it doesn't happen just like that and because everything doesn't fall into place just like that, we quit. I was about to say we quit too early. It's always too early to quit. This isn't working. This is dumb. There must be another way. I think about the people we're praying for to be saved. When will you stop praying for them to be saved, Andy? When they're saved. I, I, can't, I can't quit it. I got to pray, and I got to pray, and I got to pray, and I got to pray. And if I need victory in my life, I've got to keep on and keep on and keep on. What if you fail? If you confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You confess it and keep on going. Don't quit. Don't give up. Never stop seeking victory. Never. Well, Andy had a relapse. Okay, give it to God and start over. Well, Andy, I messed up. I, I, I was doing so well. Then give it to God and start over. Never quit. Never quit. We look at Naaman and his leprosy, and we see a beautiful picture of somebody that gets victory over sin. He got victory over leprosy. Why? Because he saw it for what it was. 
He was able to look past what he thought was going to be the miraculous and just be obedient. It killed his desires and did what he was supposed to do. He was willing to be uncomfortable. And he never stopped until it was done. And that's how we do it too. So may the Lord help us as we endeavor to get victory over sin.